Welcome to the first ever iChief podcast series. I'm Tom Jenkins, one of the co-hosts and fire chief for the city of Rogers, Arkansas. I currently serve on the IAFC Board of Directors, and I'm uh, delighted to be here with my good friend and co-host, Sheldon Gilbert. Thank you, Tom, and it's an honor for me to be here. My name is Sheldon Gilbert, and I serve as the Chief Executive Officer for Emergency Services Consulting International, the uh, consulting firm of the IAFC, and I am a former fire chief with the Alameda County Fire Department in California. We look forward to uh, bringing to you these monthly podcasts so that we can share with you the trends and, and, and some tips and best practices, uh, as well as issues of national consequence to the fire service industry that will help you uh, as you uh, manage your organizations, grow in your organizations, and, and leave the fire service better than you found it. Chief, back to you. Well, well yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Sheldon, and thanks for joining me. It's uh, when, when we thought about uh, this podcast series and what topic we should lead off with, we didn't have to think very hard. Sheldon and I agreed that cancer in the fire service, especially in conjunction with the upcoming safety stand-down week, uh, was a very important topic. And we've got two guests joining us today, Chief uh, Nate Trowernick of the UC Davis Fire Department in California, and also Chief Louis Bright, who is the retired fire chief uh, from Dallas Fire and Rescue in Texas, are here to talk to us today about tangible things real-world examples and lessons learned as it relates to occupational cancer. Now, uh, since he's an old college friend of mine, I'm going to start uh, by asking a question of Chief Trowernick. Thanks, Tom, and uh, Sheldon, glad to join the conversation. Uh, Safety Health and Survival is proud this year to partner once again with the National Volunteer Fire Council to bring safety stand down. And this year's topic uh, or theme is Reduce your exposure. It's everyone's responsibility. And it focuses on reducing exposure risks and implementing the cancer prevention recommendations that can be found in the Lavender Ribbon Report, which have been released by the Volunteer Combination Officer Section of the IAFC. Many fire departments and organizations have already developed training and resources uh, that are related to the topic. And this year we want to uh, bring special attention to the idea that uh, every single person that works in our organizations plays a role in reducing each other's risks. And uh, we hope to highlight uh, what the risks are, bring forward some best practices, and uh, start, start to, to really push on this idea that uh, we have the ability to influence the outcome for ourselves and our coworkers by making changes in how we operate today. And it's important in terms of context when you look at what our industry is currently being faced with in terms of, of occupational cancer. Firefighters have a 9% higher risk of being diagnosed with cancer and a 14% higher risk of dying from cancer than the general U.S. population. There's studies ongoing that are continuing to explore the nuances of our profession, the unique hazards that we face. And I think I, along with many others in our industry, believe that these numbers uh, are only going to increase over time if we don't start making changes today to protect ourselves, uh, not just so we have a long career, but so that we also get to enjoy a retirement and time with our families. Thank you, Chief Trinick. Wanted to uh, introduce our, our second guest, which is uh, former Fire Chief uh, Louis Bright, who spent 34 distinguished years with Dallas Fire Rescue. 
and has had more than his uh, fair share of experience with cancer impacting the fire service. Um, and we were hoping that you could uh, share a little bit about your experience, Chief, and uh, some of the elements of success you may have seen uh, given the um, statistics that we've just heard from Chief Trowernick and those, those impacts to the service. Uh, first of all, thank you, Sheldon, and thank you all for inviting me to be a part of this discussion. Uh, certainly a critical topic that needs to be addressed uh, so that we can learn how to better take care of our members and them take care of themselves. Uh, in the city of Dallas, certainly we had some incidences of cancer that were related to the job that we do, and and we took a more focused approach on dealing with ways to improve our processes and methods that we go about doing our business to do our best to help reduce those occurrences. Um, one of those things we had to do our best to start to change the culture of our organization in the way we think about um, how we do things and how they can impact us from a health standpoint. And so um, a little bit of a challenge, of course, doing that because we had the older generation of firefighters who came during those times when soot-covered helmets and firefighting gear, et cetera, was sort of a badge of honor. You kind of wore it with pride, uh, really either not either ignoring or really not understanding uh, the potential impacts of that. Um, we have moved to a new generation who seems to be more focused on health and fitness, and they seem to come along a little more easier when we start talking about uh, procedures and processes to help prevent future occurrences. And so the culture change has been, has been a challenge, but we feel like we made good headway uh, in that area. And I thought Chief Trinick made a critical statement a minute ago. He said each person plays a role in, in addressing this challenge and making us better. And uh, we've got to learn how to take care of each other. We see someone else doing something that's, against procedure related to this particularly. We should speak out um, to each other and just look out for each other at all times. So I thought that was a real um, uh, important statement he made there. So for us, it was just, uh, again, changing the culture of our organization, ensuring processes and procedures are in place, and continuing to get that message out to our whole department and holding all of us from the top down accountable I'm sure we're doing those things on a daily basis. Chief Bright, that makes sense. Um, you know, I think all fire chiefs probably struggle with, you know, those cultural, uh, you know, the, the, the ability for us to navigate those issues because they're tough. Um, I, I guess I'd ask uh, both you and Chief Trowernick, you, you have a large spectrum of departments represented between the two of you that, that here, here, you know, former Chief Dallas Fire Rescue, Chief Trowernick leading uh, the UC Davis Fire Department, but with a host of experience and other uh, agencies, uh, and and I, I think that you all bring a lot to the table. What would you say? I'll start with you, Nate. What would you say are, from a practitioner's standpoint, some of the most important things for chiefs to be implementing at, at departments of any size, of any um, uh, setup, whether it's combination, volunteer, career? What what are the the baseline stuff we should be doing to battle cancer? 
That's a big question, Tom. Uh, the, the good news is, is there's a lot of resources that help point people in the right direction. Fundamentally, though, and you bring up the issue of, of differences in size of organization, which means different funding streams and different opportunities to implement different ideas. But there are uh, low to no cost things that can be done to address this, to get the ball rolling. Um, at the forefront is education. We can't, we can't stick our head into the ground and pretend like this one's going to blow over and everything is going to be okay. So as chief officers, as company officers, firefighters, anyone at any level of the organization can start a conversation about the risk and about the realities of the risk. And anyone who, who I have known where we've sat down and had a serious conversation about what we've exposed ourselves to and and how we've taken care of ourselves says um, at the end of the day, they feel a responsibility to their families. They feel a responsibility to be there for their families. And anyone who who has that sense of responsibility for zero dollars should immediately start thinking about the things they can do to to reduce the risk. So Things like uh, wiping down the inside of cabs, services, making sure that your PPE is not transported in the passenger compartment on the way back from a call, making sure that you're utilizing gross decon uh, when you exit an IDLH but you're still clicked onto air, making sure that you're wearing your SCBA for, for the full duration of exposure, making sure that uh, you wear your entire PPE, that that your skin is covered, that you're, you're showering, you're changing clothes, and all these other things that we know can make a difference are being done every single time by every single person as, as quickly as possible to reduce that duration of exposure. There's, there's a lot of people on social media who, who say, you know, we've, we've gotten soft or we're no longer salty and, and uh, you know, we're more interested in 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 our reduction programs and we aren't actually fighting the fire and those are defense mechanisms because the reality of it is is the job is no more safe uh today than it was yesterday but we we do have the ability without changing uh the the overall uh risk profile of our work to change the risk profile of how we work in that environment. And that's, that's what these things are about. That's what the Lavender Ribbon, when you look at the best practices in the Lavender Ribbon Report, when you go to safetystanddown.org and look at the standards and resources and organizations that are supporting these causes, all the information that people need is there. Um, and it starts with what you can do. And hopefully over time, uh, people come to understand the importance of it, and and I think we are doing a much better job as a fire service of explaining why this is important, and with that, hopefully, comes funding for folks to do some of the more advanced things that are out there and are available. Great points by Chief Trinick and things we can do on a daily basis that doesn't cost a dime. <laughs> it's just common sense things that could save a life. 
uh, one of our challenges in Dallas was it was easy for you to suit up to go fight a house fire. It was a little more of a challenge to get people to keep on their gears to try and excel throughout the entire incident, particularly the overhaul processes for one. And then we even went on to extend our thinking on cars and dumpster fires. You know, it was huge, at least in Dallas. You know, you pull up on a dumpster fire, you take off a red line off the engine, and you probably have your coat on, not button, helmet, <laughs> and all these things that are in the dumpster uh, you're being exposed to. And so uh, we tried to stretch our processes even to include those things. Suit up for any potential hazard, any potential exposure you may face. On the flip side of that, we had a big push in Dallas to secure funding for some things, if you will. Uh, one, we started with physicals for our members, complete physicals, stress tests, blood tests, physical exam, et cetera. Uh, through that process, we had members actually discover they had some cancers they had no knowledge of. And so any department that's able to secure some funding to get physicals for their members, could go a long way to identifying some things that, again, people may not know they have. And we had uh, members that were able to get some things addressed, extend their life, et cetera, and they were really grateful for that. Uh, some other things such as gear cleaning. Maybe you can't get funding to buy a second set of gear, but maybe you can get some smaller dollars to have a cleaning contract. When the guys go off shift, a uh, company picks up their gear when they get back, good and clean, ready to go for another shift. We were able to secure funding to buy second hoods for everybody. And so things of that nature uh, that, that will take funding are things that people can seek out. We were fortunate to get some grants to help with some of that, particularly in the, with the physicals and so forth. But, again, as Chief mentioned, it starts with the things that don't cost a dime. And then if you're fortunate and able to uh, secure some funding, uh, there are some other things that we were able to take advantage of to uh, further increase the uh, uh, reduction in exposure to things. And so uh, uh, it was easy to get buy-in from council members and city managers and things of that nature because we stressed the importance of we can't help the public if we're not fit to do so. And so uh, we were fortunate in that area, and uh, that's continued to occur even since I've left. Those are some great practical tips, Chiefs. So I so I have a question. I'd like to take it up a little bit um, and talk a little bit about personal and organizational accountability and what that takes to, to make an organization move forward in preventing and reducing the incidence of exposure and cancer potential within their organization and the industry as a whole. And, and as we know, these programs don't just happen. They have to be resourced, they have to be led, and there has to be leading by example, and then there needs to be some practical funding and some political and policy level support. So from a, from a chief officer, executive manager, or, or even a supervisory perspective, uh, how, do, how do we do this? How do we lead and manage these programs in such a way uh, that they're properly resourced and, and we can implement those great practical things that you talked about? And so I would say Obviously, it starts from the top down, and accountability is huge. I think I mentioned earlier that uh, you've got to hold your chief officers, your captains, your lieutenants, et cetera, accountable for keeping this message out there. I mean, we train on some things. We train today. We don't even think about it again. It may be an incident we don't deal with much. We may not think about it for months, even years. This is a continuous message that we have to ensure our 
our uh, chief officer level personnel, again, on down, continue to push this message out on a daily basis. Even if you're just driving by an incident, we even told staff officers, if you're just driving to work and you see a crew at a car fire, at an accident, and you see something they're doing, they need to change, they need to put on the gear and so forth, we empowered everybody to see something, say something. At the end of the day, our message continuously was, as in most departments, everybody goes home. And so uh, the accountability piece is used is really the only way it's going to work. <laughs> you hold everybody accountable and, uh, and uh, again, ensure that message continues to, to get out. So we hold group trainings, talk about these things. Even as we uh, get close to Safe to Stand Down Week, we'll follow the same process. Uh, then we continue to push that message at the station level, and we ensure our district chiefs, deputy chiefs, et cetera, continue even to have monthly follow-ups. Ensure somewhere in your training during the month you mentioned uh, the safety piece of it, wearing your gear, cleaning your gear, doing some of those things Chief Trinick mentioned earlier that you can do at the scene and even at the station to uh, ensure this message uh, uh, is a continuous flow um, throughout everybody's career. Yeah, uh, Chief Bright just really makes some excellent points. And um, if your if your organization isn't having a conversation yet about uh, firefighter occupational cancer, use this year's safety stand down as a launching point for that conversation. So Sheldon, you asked a couple questions within the question, and one is, you know, how do you get this going? How do you get this organizational momentum? How do you start this shift? And for my organization, and I think many others, uh, the the direction from the top is important, but also empowering people uh, to make the changes, right? So uh, we have a health and wellness committee that's separate from our safety committee, and the health and wellness committee put together a training on uh, firefighter occupational cancer risks. And... I've never seen movement as rapid uh, in my time in the fire service as I saw following those initial presentations. When people sit there and look at the instances of uh, testicular cancer, 2.02 times higher risk, mesothelioma, two times greater risk, multiple myeloma, 1.53 times, and the list goes on, and people, you watch them as they're making eye contact with each other in the room. And people start admitting areas where we could be better and we could be different and we could improve. Um, my experience has been a very grassroots experience where our people have embraced it and hold each other accountable uh, to making sure the station doesn't smell like smoke, to making sure that the inside of the rigs uh, are as clean as we can make them. And then as a member of command staff, I've been able to implement changes like we don't buy SUVs anymore because why would I tell my firefighters that they need to carry their contaminated gear outside of their rig when I'm driving around in an SUV with dirty turnouts in it all the time? So we've switched to, to pickup trucks with contaminated gear compartments. And then the last piece of your question is, which is how do you get the funding? How do you, how do you reach that support uh, to enact a lot of this stuff? And And I don't know of a lot of of risk pools uh, of municipalities or other groups 
who would look at the data, at the science, uh, at the research that's been done around this, and at, at all the work that's already been done to say, here are the ways that we can reduce this, and not think for a few minutes about their ability to lower their costs by getting in on the front end of these things. So for fire chiefs who feel like they're struggling to get buy-in uh, for support financially, talk about uh, the risk-benefit. Talk about the long game. Talk about the long-term costs. And the, yes, we're going to make a short-term investment that, while maybe big up front, is going to pay off down the line, not just in terms of cost, but in terms of doing the right thing, fundamentally doing the right thing. And uh, I'll tell you, from my personal experience, people find it eye-opening. People find it fascinating. And then there's also a whole group of people out there who just look at me and say, duh, you guys have been doing this for how long, exposing yourselves to the byproducts of combustion, and you're just now figuring out that those things cause cancer? We can't necessarily change our past, but we have full control over our future. And to some of my good friends who've, who have told me, my, my time has passed. I've already been so exposed. There's no going back now. I call them out on that because every single time you can reduce your exposure, you reduce the risk. And that does make a difference cumulative over time. It's never too late for anybody. Chief Bright, Chief Trowernick, uh, excellent comments. Um, you know, safety stand, stand down week is uh, June 16th to the 22nd this year. And uh, we talked a lot about techniques, culture, gear cleaning, you know, just getting the word out, second hood, showering within the hour. But safety stand-down week, I think, to a lot of fire chiefs is still a little bit of an enigma as to what you're actually supposed to be doing and what it actually stands for. And so I'd be curious uh, with your different perspectives, and, and, and Chief Trownick, I'll start with you. What are the challenges to the fire chiefs and the leaders that are listening to this podcast what are the challenges with doing a safety stand-down week, and how do we overcome that? I, I think that fundamentally it's prioritization. There's not, a, there's not one of us who isn't busy, whose training divisions aren't overwhelmed, trying to keep up with mandates and changes in regulation. And, and the whole concept behind safety stand-down is that each year – we take an area of focus and say, this is so important, this is so pressing for our industry that we need to make it the sole priority for a week. Out of all the weeks in a year, make it a week. It's giving direction to the training division or to your training officer. It's sending them to our website, which has podcasts, webinars, uh links to the NFPA standards, links to um, uh, organizations and groups like the Firefighter Cancer Support Network that has links to the research. We've done all the work for you. It is just simply a matter of saying to your organization, this is a priority. The week of safety stand down, our training that week is dedicated to occupational uh, cancer and firefighters and what we're going to do to reduce our risk. And perhaps that comes across as oversimplified, but it literally is just that easy. From my standpoint, uh, great points again by Chief Trimit. Our challenge has been how do we make this not just another training? I mean, most of you know how firefighters can be. Uh, here we go for another hour, two hours, 
what's the topic today? <laughs> no, we need to stress this is critical stuff we're teaching you and we're passing on to you. And uh, Chief Trinick said in another conversation we had, I literally wrote it down, uh, our people need to really think about their families too. <laughs> you know, are you looking to go home to your families every day when you can and have a good quality of life, enjoy seeing your kids grow up, uh, hopefully having a full career, looking for a great retirement, uh, having grandkids, great-grandkids, and so forth. Uh, from a professional standpoint, from, from in terms of your firefighting career, this is kind of where it starts to do these things to, again, reduce your exposures. And so uh, that's a huge challenge. Another thing we were able to leverage in Dallas was using, uh, as I mentioned, we had gotten funded to do some physicals for everybody, and we had some personnel that discovered they had some cancers they weren't aware of, and they were able to get those things treated, or at least a course of treatment. We were able to use some of their testimony to create some eye-opening experience. Here's a real person <laughs> that has gone through this, and we've sort of determined there's a good chance what they have been exposed to over their career has caused what they're dealing with right now. So these are real people that we bring and able to uh, to stand in front of some groups of firefighting. And we were able to use uh, those instances and, and, again, really open some eyes. This, this is real. <laughs> it is real. You need to take heed to the things we're teaching, the things you're looking at and so forth. And, again, as uh, Chief mentioned as well, tons of resources. There's really no excuse not to gather information to be able to pass along uh, to your personnel. The Lavender Report that was done, the, the 11 best practices, use those things. It's not about volunteering, career, or combination, any of that. We all put on our gear and go out there and help the public put out fires, et cetera, and exposed to the same types of things. And so um, use those resources out there. Again, Safety Stand Down Week is coming up. Uh, go to their website, pull up all the information that's available, and leverage all of those things to make your department better and, more importantly, make it safer. Chief, that is some great feedback and some great best practices and advice that I think everyone can uh, take and implement to make a difference. Um, I have one last question before we, we end this first podcast of the iChiefs podcast. And uh, I, I wanted to talk about culture for a minute. We, we had a very robust discussion as a fire service industry probably 15 plus years ago on wearing full turnouts and wearing breathing apparatus and when you wear them and how long you wear them. Uh, not even understanding at the time that that was just the beginning of the discussion. And, and I think we uh, correctly and successfully have, have shifted the culture where that's not much of a discussion anymore uh, from the basics of, of firefighting and wearing that equipment in an IDLH atmosphere. But now we have all these other uh, best practices that have been given to us by the Lavender, um, the Blue Ribbon uh, Report, and, and we have a lot of guidelines now through the Healthcare Providers Guide to the Firefighter Physicals from the Firefighter Safety Through Advanced Research, or FSTAR Group. Um, but these are all tools, and the tools will only be effective if we begin to shift the culture. And so now we're having this secondary cultural uh, discussion on why I can't put my dirty helmet in my office and why uh, I, I don't have an SUV with my um, soiled turnouts in it, as you talked about, Chief Charnick. So my question to you is how can we use these safety stand-down uh, resources and time uh, to begin to shift the culture in the industry so that uh, hopefully 10 years from now uh, we're not even having to have this conversation, but this is just who we are in preventing uh, the spread and the um, exposure to byproducts of cancer. I'll just say this younger generation of firefighters has helped us with this culture shift. 
I mean, yes, there are still some quote-unquote old heads around, uh, but it's almost like uh, this younger generation pressures them to change their mind and their thinking about things of this nature. And so the culture shift, uh, I will say, hadn't been incredibly difficult in Dallas, uh, but uh, it's a message we can't we can't uh, we can't reduce how we get this message out. We we can't become complacent. Maybe that's where, I, where I'm trying to go. Uh, I mean, we teach it, we preach it. Uh, people are starting to do it. Then we we can never get complacent as it relates to to this issue. And so, uh, as far as our culture shift again, it's become somewhat easier because of this younger generation, how they think about fitness and so forth. You know, their diet, working out all day, that type thing. So they sort of believe in the fitness thing. Now it's a matter of getting them procedurally to always do those things when we're responding to calls and things of that nature to uh, do the right thing to ensure they're reducing their exposure uh, out there. And so um, that's sort of my story from Dallas. Uh, and, again, it's a continuous message. We, we don't want anybody to become lackadaisical. Uh, with this effort, and so uh, that's sort of where things stand with us right now. And, and Chief Bright's just right on, and, and there's this, this, this confluence of events, I think, happening in the fire service right now that are going to push this issue forward. Probably the biggest one is the conversation around the cornerstone of firefighter health being the annual medical physical, creating uh, the health benchmarks, the blood tests, the annual screening, whether your department pays for it or you take some of the materials that are available out there to your primary care physician uh, and ask them to start doing some of that. The the emphasis the fire service has put on firefighter health is greatly assisting in this effort. And like Chief Bright said, this new generation uh, of folks coming into the fire service, people who... Um, who have a better grasp of what it means to work to live instead of live to work are impacting those of us in older generations because what they're doing makes sense. Uh, They love the job. They do great work when they're at work. But you know what? They love their families. They love their time away from here. And that mentality is starting to transcend, I think, uh, throughout the generations in the context of the conversation around cancer because uh, I don't know how many of us have watched dear friends die of cancer after a career in the fire service and we say, oh, how unfortunate. Uh, so-and-so died of cancer. Oh, what a tragedy. And this is, this is you know, four years ago. And I don't know who today doesn't have a friend pass away from cancer who's done this job who doesn't almost immediately think, was it because of the job? Was it because of his or her exposure? What did so-and-so do or not do that brought them to this end? And this is a really personal discussion. It's a really personal uh, impact of an issue on an industry. And I think it's what separates it from a lot of the other uh, moves we've tried to make to increase or enhance firefighter safety, health, and survival, is that none of us can say we aren't touched by cancer. And um, that that seems to be the perhaps the single greatest cultural delineator that I've figured out to date. 
is that uh, nobody can say I haven't I haven't lost somebody, and not look in the mirror and say what can I do to be here for as long as I can for the people that I love. Well said. Uh, so we have Chief Nate Trownick, Chief Louis Bright, um, both joining us for the first time. We appreciate you all being uh, out, out part of our maiden voyage of the podcast. Remind our listeners that the safety stand down date is June 16th to the 22nd. Of all the advice and insight um, that you, that we've shared today and, and that we've been able to listen to, um, it's just important for our listeners to do something to make it a priority and certainly to be a leader. You can also visit uh, the website for the Safety Stand Down. It's www.safetystanddown.org. Um, we hope that you'll join us in our future podcasts as we'll talk about uh, preparing to be a fire chief and then, of course, what you can expect in your first 100 days as fire chief. Thank you very much for joining us today. 